You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Our congregation has been studying through uh, some of the uh, greatest passages from the book of Isaiah, the long book of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, who was a prophet in Israel and especially in Judah, the southern part of Israel, about 700 years before Jesus. And today we're going to look at chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5. So if you have your Bible ready, go ahead and and open there. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. Chapter 5 begins with a love song. Or, Or is it a love song? It's kind of a strange love song. Let's take a look at it. Isaiah 5 and verse 1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Now, verse 1 suggests that this passage is a love song. Isaiah says, I will sing for the one I love. But what kind of love song is this? Verse 7 tells us this is a song about the Lord. And about his vineyard, which it explains is Israel and Judah. They were separate nations at this time in their history and had been for uh, most of 200 years by this time. And the song goes like this. God planted a vineyard and he did everything he could for it. He dug up the ground. He cleared away the stones. He planted it with the very best vines. He built a watchtower in it for its protection. He built a wine press for processing the grapes into wine. The vineyard is Israel and Judah. God had chosen the people of Israel, including Judah, planted them in the promised land, loved them, nurtured them, protected them for some 700 years now since the time of Moses. When the Israelites came up out of Egypt into the promised land. And so that puts Isaiah about halfway between Moses and Jesus. God had blessed them 
so that they prospered. But then when God went to the vineyard of his people to look for good grapes, there were only bad ones. And God throws, throws up his hands and asks, what more could I have done for my vineyard? And so because the fruit of his vineyard is so bad, despite all his best efforts, he's going to tear it all down, take away its protection, let it be trampled. He will neither prune it nor cultivate it. He will send no more rain on it. And since the vineyard is Israel and Judah, God is saying he will let these two nations be conquered, be taken away. They will be a vineyard no more. Now, there's hope of redemption later in Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah will spend a lot of time, especially in the last 27 chapters of his book, talking about God's redemption of Israel. But it doesn't come up here in chapter 5. That's, that's not the point in chapter 5. So redemption is coming, but right now, this is kind of a rough love song. What kind of love song is this? It's definitely not your normal, happy, delightfully gooey love song, right? This is more a song, perhaps, of maybe unrequited love. God loved Israel so much. He worked hard for their benefit. He invested heavily in his people, but they did not respond. You don't have to look far in our own culture for songs of unrequited love. They usually say something like, I loved you, you didn't love me back. What am I supposed to do now? Unrequited love. But this song isn't exactly an I love you so much, but you don't love me and it hurts kind of song. It's more of a I loved you and you did not respond properly, and now here's what's going to happen to you kind of song. So this is maybe a tough love song. You know, tough love, like parents with their children. It's, this is the parent saying, I trusted you to be home by 10 p.m., and you didn't get in until 1 in the morning. And so now you're grounded. I raised you better than this. God says to Israel and Judah, I invested everything I could in you, and then I looked for a crop of good grapes, but you yielded only bad fruit. Verse 7 says, God looked for justice but saw bloodshed. The fruit he wanted from his nation was that they would be fair to each other, that the nation would be fair to its people, that that they would care for one another and that they would treat each other justly, but instead people were harming and killing one another. God wasn't okay with that. He looked for righteousness but heard cries of distress where he expected to see the fruit of people doing what is right. He found them doing harm to each other so that the victims cried out. God wasn't okay with that. The wording in the Hebrew is striking in verse 7, the end of verse 7. God looked for, in Hebrew, mishpat, justice, but saw instead mishpah, bloodshed. He looked for sedekah, righteousness, but found seekah, distress. It's like saying, I looked for grapes, but found grubs. Or one spouse says to the other, I expected faithfulness, but found only flirtiness with everybody. 
Or the parent says to the misbehaving child, we expected behavior that is responsible, but yours has been reprehensible. And so the unfaithful spouse, what will happen to their marriage? If they don't change, it's going to be gone. What will happen with the irresponsible child in their relationship with their parents if they don't adjust their behavior? They're going to lose their parents' trust. What's going to happen to Israel if they don't repent of their injustice and unrighteousness? They're going to lose their vineyard, their nation. This is a tough love song. And the love part really comes out in the first two verses where Isaiah talks about how much God invested in his people, like a farmer investing in his vineyard, working hard for it, digging, clearing, planting, building. But then the harvesting didn't go so well. What is God supposed to do? When I was a teenager, I worked for the Young's Market grocery store, as I've mentioned before. Uh, it wasn't this store on, this, on the screen, but it was its sister store, the one I worked for back then, a long time ago now, is, is gone. This one's still there. The store I worked at was in a bad part of town. Uh, it was the type of place where the shopping carts tended to disappear. They would walk home with their customers. I guess shopping carts roll, don't they? They, they don't walk. They would roll home with their walking customers. And every now and then, the manager, Don, he would grab me or someone else and go out in the pickup truck, drive through the alleys in the neighborhood, and we'd find the store's shopping carts. And if it had our name on it, Young's Market, we'd pick it up, throw it in the back of the truck, take it back to the store. We had to go do that every once in a while. That's just the kind of place this was. Don and his wife, Karen, were and still are faithful Christians. And I heard Karen say once that Don loved working in that low-income store, in that low-income neighborhood, because it gave him the opportunity to provide jobs to some of the residents there who might otherwise have had difficulty finding work. There just wasn't much, you know, good-paying job, uh, uh, employment opportunity in that part of town. I saw Don a few times hire people from the neighborhood, really invest in them, work with them, train them, give them a fair wage, help them learn how to hold down a job. And some of these employees did really well. I mean, just became good workers. But there were a couple who, after a while, started showing up late, skipping work, or who stole from the store and got caught. How was Don supposed to feel about that? He had genuinely cared about them as people had hired them, invested in them, and some produced good fruit, and some didn't. And what happens to an employee who continues to produce bad fruit? They lose their job, of course. Tough love. And this is a tough love song. And since it's about nations... Israel and Judah, and since tomorrow is our Independence Day, <clears throat> we could apply this text to our nation and say, God has invested so much in the United States of America, praise God, what kind of fruit are we producing for him? 
And, you know, if we stopped and thought through it carefully, we'd probably find some really good fruit and some really not so good fruit uh, that our nation offers up to God. I think there's a good chunk of both. And the same is really true of any nation on earth. Every nation needs to think about how good God has been to them and ask, are we producing good fruit like justice and righteousness for the glory of God who loves us so much? God is invested in us. How are we repaying him? Are we giving him good fruit? But there's an even better analogy to Israel and Judah than modern day nations like ours. Because as much as God has invested in our nation, there's a group of people in whom God has invested even more. That, of course, is his church. With his church, God has invested all his love without limit. Through Jesus, his son, who died for us. Through his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And God's church is God's true Israel today. It's not the state of Israel that is most precious to God, but the people who are the true people of God through Jesus, his son. Because whether you're an Israelite, a Jew, or not, if you follow God's son, you're following God. You're one of his people. And if you're not following his son, then you have rejected his son, you are not following God. You are not one of his people. So the church is the body of people in whom God has invested the most. We are God's Israel today. And so how are we doing at bearing good fruit for God who has invested so heavily in us? We are God's vineyard today. Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And a few verses later in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are God's vineyard, connected and growing through Jesus, our true vine. In him, with God pruning us, we can bear much good fruit. And we're taught in Scripture that God expects us who belong to him to bear good fruit. And if we don't, we may be excluded from his kingdom. John the Baptist teaches in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, uh, taking a tree instead of a, a vineyard. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus taught the same thing. Matthew 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God expects his people to bear good fruit. Romans 7 verse 4 says, We belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Colossians 1 verse 10 says, The apostle Paul prays continually for the church so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing good fruit in every, bearing fruit in every good work. 
God expects his church, his vineyard, to bear good fruit. He has invested in us for this purpose because he loves us. We are God's Israel today. So, how do we bear good fruit for God? After all God has done for us, after he has poured out his love on us, invested in us, how do we bear good fruit for him? Well, there are a lot of ways, beginning with just following Jesus. That's kind of the basic level. Scripture is filled with descriptions of how God wants his people to live. You can look in pretty much any part of Scripture and find something that will help you bear good fruit for God. There's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are attributes God's Spirit grows in our lives as we submit ourselves to God and the leading of his Spirit. And so those are good fruit for God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 9 says, The fruit of the light that the Lord produces in us consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then Paul, the writer there, spends almost all of chapters 4, 5, and 6 explaining how that fruit should look in our lives. So there's a lot there. But let's just go back to Isaiah 5 where we started. And let's see what fruit Isaiah says God wanted to find in Israel and Judah and let's see if we can produce that fruit for the Lord, too. Or uh, more accurately, let's go back and look at what bad fruit the Lord found in his people in Isaiah's time, because that's what Isaiah lists for us. After his tough love song, Isaiah speaks six woes on Israel and Judah. And with each woe, he provides uh, a list of sins that God has found among his people. And by identifying these sins, the bad fruit we can then understand what God's people should have done instead in order to produce good fruit, uh, and then we can perhaps produce that good fruit in our lives, responding to God's love for us. So let's go back to chapter 5, Isaiah 5, and verse 8 now. Here's woe number 1 of 6. Isaiah writes, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. That's six gallons of wine out of 10 acres. A homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. An ephah is about one-tenth of a homer. And so here the bad fruit is greed. It's wealthy people who can afford to buy up all the land, buying up all the parcels of land they can get, putting them all together so they have a huge estate. They live all by themselves, get to enjoy all this, but they're depriving smaller landowners of their property and pushing people off to where they have to sort of congregate in smaller areas, more densely populated. The poor get the lesser places. The rich get everything they want. That's greed. And so the Lord is going to take it all away. All the fine mansions, all the great crops, the great houses will be empty. Huge vineyards will produce very little wine. Fields will produce only a small percentage of what it took to plant them. And so, stay away from the bad fruit of greed. What should we do instead? Perhaps we could pursue the good fruit of contentment. Giving God thanks for what you have, being grateful for what he's already given you. 
Love your neighbor, care about the poor, try to help others, improve their situation, don't only improve your own situation. Woe number two, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Here the bad fruit is self-indulgence, living in luxury, wine, drinks, get up in the morning, drink, drink through the evening, and enjoy the music and the banquets, the parties, but we don't pay attention to God. We just disregard all that God has done. Stay away from that bad fruit of self-indulgence. Pay attention to the Lord. When you pay attention to the Lord, that is good fruit. Let his love direct your life less toward the pursuit of pleasure and more toward the pursuit of God. That's going to make your life better. Remember how much he loves you and seek him. Pursuing God is itself good fruit. Woe number three, verse 18. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach. Let it come into view so we may know it. Here the bad fruit is daring God to punish you. These people haul their sin after them. They just take it with them wherever they go, doing evil all the time. And then they have the audacity to dare God to punish them. Let God do his worst. Where's his work? Let's see it. Let let it hurry. Avoid at all costs the bad fruit of flaunting your sin in the face of God. At the end of this chapter, we won't read it, but at the end of this chapter, Isaiah prophesies that God will send foreign nations with sharp arrows and powerful horses and swift chariots to overpower Israel and Judah like a lion seizing its prey and hauling it away. His vineyard will be destroyed because its fruit was bad. This prophecy was fulfilled, actually, uh, in Isaiah's time when the Assyrian Empire invaded Israel and destroyed it. They conquered the last part of it in 722 B.C., And then they turned and tried to do the same to Judah. They nearly conquered it in 701 B.C. It's sad. But if Israel had listened to God, if they listened to Isaiah, his prophet, and humbled themselves before God, he would have spared them. Because God wasn't giving them this message so he could say, I'm going to condemn you. He's giving them the message so that they would turn and listen to him and change. And he would love them and help them again. He would spare them. In fact, Judah did turn back to God under King Hezekiah. And God spared Judah. They survived. If we humble ourselves before God and turn away from our sin, that is good fruit. And God doesn't rub it in. He's so glad we come back to him and he spares us, loves us, accepts us, builds us up, helps us. The last three woes, four, five, and six, come right together. Here's number four in verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Bad fruit number four is reversing right and wrong, good and evil, which basically means we abandon God's definition of right and wrong and we replace it with our own definition. And why do we do that? Well, so that whatever we do is okay. We just say it's all right. It's good. Pursue instead the good fruit of obeying God's commands. Verse 21, the fifth woe. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Bad fruit number five is being wise in our own eyes, which just means being arrogant. Thinking, I'm, I'm just right, you know. I, I, I know what's what. It's better to humble ourselves and seek God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom. It's bigger, it's better than ours. We're not very good at being our own gods, the rulers of our own lives. We need God's wisdom. And the sixth woe, the last one, verses 22 and 23. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. So bad fruit number six is having bad priorities, living self-indulgently, neglecting justice, Excelling at the skill of drinking, but ruining justice by setting the guilty free, taking bribes, denying justice to the innocent. Everything that's right and good then gets warped while you live a luxurious, self-indulgent life. The good fruit that God wants to see from us is an orderly life, one that gets its priorities right so that we pursue justice, help the innocent, live sober lives, do what is right. This is what God wanted from Israel and Judah. And this is still good fruit that we can offer to the Lord today from the vineyard of our hearts and the vineyard of his church. Humility, honesty, justice, integrity, righteousness, remembering the Lord and all he's done for us, showing our respect for our God by how we conduct our lives, like a worker who is grateful to his employer for giving him a job, like a child who respects the curfew mom and dad has set because she appreciates that her parents love her. And then instead of finishing with proclamations of God's judgment and the tearing down of his vineyard, our love song with God will get a good ending. God goes to his vineyard and he looks for good grapes and he finds them everywhere, abundantly. And he's overjoyed. And God continues to prune us and cultivate us so that we bear more and more good fruit in his vineyard. And we grow more and more as we can stay connected to Jesus, our true vine. And we become the, uh, what God wanted Israel to be that they never quite uh, became the faithful and beautiful people of God, a light of hope to the whole world. We become the beloved bride of Christ, a people destined to live forever in the light of God and showing our destiny by how we live today. We become people over whom God sings his joyful love song. May God be praised for his investment in us by which he shows us his love. And may he be honored 
as we live for him through Jesus our Lord, producing for him all kinds of good fruit in his vineyard. And may God bless you today. Let's pray together. God, our Father, the tender of the vineyard, the, the, the one who has planted us and who grows us because you love us so much. We know of your love, O oh God, through these messages you've given us from ancient times, through Jesus who gave his life so that he in his body and blood became payment for our sins, thus setting us free from your judgment. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us as we come to, to follow you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us and your commands that instruct us and teach us the right way to live. We see in all this, O oh God, your great love for us. Now, dear Lord, since you have loved us so much, make good on your investment in us. Help us to grow and bear good fruit for your joy and for the growth and benefit of your kingdom and for the, the help of people all around us, for the joy of your church as we together grow in Christ. Lord God, bless our church, bless our land, bless each one of us individually. Help us to be faithful to you and to bear much good fruit for you. Dear Lord, give us each one way to bear good fruit for you this week. We thank you and we honor you. And we ask your blessing, dear God, on the meal that's been prepared for us, on the people who have, who have prepared it, and on this church together and your church everywhere as a whole. We give you thanks, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.